Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, The Authority of the King, with a message entitled, First Steps in Reaching the World. So join us as we look into Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 to 16, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. a memory of a young man once asking me to explain to him how to get involved in pastoral ministry. I asked him how he was involved in the church now. He said he wasn't. I asked him, well, if he hadn't been involved in the past, why would he want to be involved now? And he said, well, my present job is not fulfilling and and I thought pastoral ministry might be. (laughs) Well, obviously, he was not ready for pastoral ministry anytime soon. Of course, in order to be on mission, you don't have to go overseas, and you don't have to be a pastor in a local church. Missions is for all of us. God has a unique assignment for every one of his children, and the greatest thing you can ever do is to be involved in your area of calling. It's to know what is your assignment from God and to be involved in the master's business. The passage we're about to read has Jesus giving an assignment, a mission, to his chosen 12 disciples, whom he named apostles. An apostle is a sent one, so these 12 were uniquely sent by Jesus to represent him. So let's read the passage, Matthew 10, 1 to 16. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. For Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel." and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. There's so much to be learned from this passage, so so much we can apply to ourselves, so much understanding we can gain about Christ's assignment for us. But before we do a word of caution, if you aren't keenly aware that this passage relates uniquely to the 12, that it's meant for them alone, if, if you don't study it from the vantage point of what is uniquely the assignment of the apostles, well, you'll not be able to apply this rightly. For instance, In the early 13th century, Francis of Assisi took these words as a command to renounce all possessions and to live a life of poverty. He heard Jesus commanding that we take no gold or silver and therefore renounced all possessions. 
you know, for some today, especially those in the charismatic movement, this passage is sometimes taken as a promise that all believers will heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse lepers. In other words, there's no understanding of a unique command for the apostles only. And still for others, this passage contains a promise that that any wandering pastor shouldn't have to work for a living, but should be given help in food and lodging wherever they go. So if we fail to see what is unique for the apostles at this time, well, I think you're going to get the wrong idea. So let's set the stage for this passage. What Jesus says here is in some sense uniquely a command given only for the twelve at a specific point in time. And that should be obvious, especially if you read the last part of verse 5. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. But there's more. The apostles, as we've seen in this study, are called to be the foundation for the church which Christ is building. So Christ is training them for a specific ministry, a ministry that does not get repeated at any other time. I'll give you an illustration of that. You know, some time ago, I was visited by two Jehovah's Witnesses, and and when they found out that I was a Christian, they became aggressive, and they asked if I went door to door. And I said, well, I don't. And they said, don't you know that the apostles went from house to house? Now, I could have argued from Acts 5.42 and Acts 20, verse 20, that, that house to house is not talking about cold calling and handing out literature. Rather, it was to house meetings of believers. But I decided to let that lie. Instead, I said, well, don't you know that the apostles also went to Derby and Lystra and Iconium? Do you do that as well? And they said, what do you mean? And I said, well, just because it says the apostles did that doesn't mean it's a command for everyone. So why do I mention that? Well, because some scripture passages, like the one we're now reading, are showing us how Jesus built the foundation of the church, not a basic formula for everyone to repeat. Taking no bag along is not a command of Jesus for his followers after that. Indeed, Jesus made that very plain in Luke chapter 22, verses 35 to 36. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. So understand that the instructions we read here are not only specific to the 12, but they're specific to this particular time period. This is a one-off assignment, which he doesn't repeat again. But having said that, if we're careful, we will find all sorts of principles for our lives as well, especially for those who want to live their lives on mission for the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's begin from the beginning. Now, before I deal with the command that forbids them from going to the Gentiles, let's just examine the rest of the passage. Notice the message they're to preach. They are to say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is, none of them was to invent their own message. They were to repeat exactly what Jesus said, and that was to be the pattern for their ministry. And furthermore, Jesus gave them supernatural power to do exactly as he had done, all the way to raising the dead. So, is that for believers today? Well, yes and no. 1 Corinthians 12 indicates that there are a variety of gifts, and some in the body of Christ are given the gift of healing. Notice several things. First, that gift is only given to some, whereas all the apostles could heal. And Second, there's nothing in the promise of spiritual gifts that indicates that the gift of healing is like Jesus' ability to heal. 
either in quality or in quantity. But that wasn't true of the apostles. They were given the power to do exactly what Jesus did. So armed with the message and with the authority to fully reproduce the ministry of Jesus, Jesus gives them their first ever ministry assignment. It's a a short-term assignment. They're not permitted to go to the Gentiles. That would come later. For now, they were to remain among the Jews. And why? Well, two reasons come to mind. The first, according to Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3, God's plan to bless the whole world would come through Israel. And so it is completely in line with God's plan of salvation that he start with the Jews. And that's why, for instance, in Romans 1.16, Paul would say, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, and then he adds, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But there's another reason. These 12 were hardly ready for a global assignment. It was sometime after Pentecost that the disciples finally got the global program. Right now, they needed to learn to minister among their own people. And can we learn from this? Absolutely. If you want to follow God's assignment in your life, I think it's a good maxim that we start at home. Too many of us dream about what we might do for the kingdom without ever learning to be faithful in everyday small things like learning to share your faith with family and friends, like serving others in some way, maybe at your local church, like volunteering when there's a need. You know, our last year in seminary in Southern California, uh, Kathy and I belonged to a very small church in, in Pasadena. And I remember that church because it was all about missions. And I have an uncomfortable memory of an, of an elderly woman demanding of me, how could I justify being a pastor going back to my own Canada when there was such a great need on the mission field. That church had regular sermons about missions. They had a missions budget that was larger than any other item. But that church was dying. They had gone from a high of several hundred people down to 50, and it doesn't exist today. You know, it's amazing how easy it is to become involved in a large-scale project and neglect what's before our eyes on our home turf. Back to the Bible Canada exists to disciple God's people through Bible teaching that strengthens the church and builds the kingdom. We believe the church is essential to God's people. And in uncertain days, your prayers and support of the church is critical as God uses it to advance the gospel. To encourage and equip God's people, we're offering Dr. Newfeld's new series, Lessons for the Church, on CD for free. Request a copy for yourself, a friend, or place it in the church library. Back to the Bible Canada exists to build disciples who know the Bible and serve the church. So we encourage you to stand with your local congregation. Refresh your hearts towards it. Be engaged with its ministry. Extend grace to the saints. By caring for your church, you're loving the family of God. For more information or to order your free CD copy of Lessons for the Church, Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. I think Jesus' methodology means that we have to start at home. I mean, what else can we learn from this passage? Well, notice that Jesus reminds them that he never charged a fee or received a gift from anyone whom he had healed. 
And when they go out on this ministry assignment, they are to reject any money that might be given to them when they perform a healing on someone. Again, notice how easy it is to misunderstand this passage. You know, in some churches, there are those who use this passage to suggest we should have no paid workers in the local church. But again, that's a misunderstanding of this text. Jesus may have started by telling them not to receive gifts, but in the end of verse 10, he tells them that the laborer is worthy of his food. So how should we understand these two seemingly contradictory statements? Well, let me muddy the waters just a bit further. Notice Jesus is telling them to take no bag, no sandals, and no staff. Now compare that with Mark chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. That's a parallel passage, and it says, He charged them to take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. So how do we reconcile those two accounts? Well, I think it's actually quite simple. The command in Matthew is meant to be understood that they shouldn't take an extra pair of sandals or staff. They're supposed to travel light. They're to have no bag or pack, and they're to take no money, and that way they wouldn't be vulnerable to robbery. But how are they supposed to survive? Well, the answer is the workman is worthy of his food. And it's fascinating that Paul will later use that very saying of Jesus to justify the paying of full-time pastors. Some of you might want to look up 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 18. Paul teaches, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. See, Paul is quoting this very saying of Jesus. So you can see that Jesus did not mean to teach no remuneration. He simply meant to teach that the disciples were not to take money from those whom they were helping. So imagine the scene Jesus is describing. The twelve are sent out in groups of two. They enter into a town, and perhaps they get invited to a synagogue and preach and heal. And then they go to a town square, and they begin healing the sick and teaching the kingdom. And then a crowd gathers, and in that crowd, the disciples are to pray and seek out a worthy person, someone who's waiting for the kingdom of heaven to arrive. Remember that hospitality was was common in that culture. And so they were to look to stay where their needs might be met. Is there anything here that we can learn from this? Well, I think there is. We know that when it comes to ministry, we start at home. Now we learn that all, both those in full-time ministry and those who are not, are to minister with the benefit of the other in mind. In other words, don't do this for personal gain. Jesus organized the ministry of his disciples to maximize the effectiveness of the gospel, not to make sure of the comfort of the messengers. And later, as we're going to see, he promises them that they're going to be dragged before hostile courts, and in the future, they will be persecuted and will have to flee from town to town, but not to fear. Everyone who acknowledges the Father in times of hardship will be acknowledged by the Father. And the point is simply this. Jesus is right now teaching his disciples in this first missions trip ever that they will have to rely on God and live by faith. And those early lessons will be what they will need when things get really tough. And by the way, how many of us have learned those lessons? Why do you think God puts you into conditions of hardship? 
If you don't learn to trust him now, what will you do when things get really tough? See, you will find that you're of no worth to your heavenly father if you do not learn to trust him when all other means of support fail. Notice again verses 11 to 13. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. At first reading, you might think that Jesus is telling his disciples to greet the house, that is, greet the building. But that's not what's intended. The house refers to the household, the family, and everyone who lives in that dwelling. And clearly, this means that someone has had the disciples over, and they will stay with them for the length of their ministry in that town. And in some cases, they will find people who want the gospel, and in some cases, they will find people who radically oppose them, even while they're staying at that house. And that, as you can imagine, would be very awkward. See, I have a memory about this. Many years ago, while I was in pastoral ministry, a couple had my wife and I over for dinner. They'd they'd invited others over as well, and and the supper was formal, and the setting was ornate, and, and the food was exquisite. And just as we were getting comfortable, enjoying the rich food and enjoying what seemed to be warm conversation, suddenly the mood changed. You know, the couple informed us this was a time to share some criticisms about our ministry. And with that came a barrage of criticism. It was then that I realized that all of that food and formality had just been a setup for that moment. (laughs) And I was embarrassed. And I also had the eerie feeling that I was dining with wolves. Yeah, they had us over for dinner and they were dining on us. And I didn't know what to say. It was very awkward. And Jesus knew that this would occur. Sometimes those who seem the most gracious are those who oppose most fiercely. And with this comes another lesson in ministry. Jesus wanted his disciples to seek out worthy partners in ministry. That's why he commanded them to always seek out who was worthy in every town. They were not just to preach and then take off. They were to form connections with worthy people. See, don't think you can do ministry alone. Sometimes we can be starstruck. I mean, we think of you know famous pastors and theologians and missionaries, and, and here's a little secret. All powerful ministry is shared ministry. Here's an important lesson. Look for friendships that that compel you more deeply into ministry. Don't live your Christian life alone. Find people who are supporting missionary. Find someone who has the same job or profession you have and is sharing the faith. Find someone who's a stay-at-home mom and has used their time wisely and sacrificially in both raising her family and being involved in ministry. Find a student like yourself who has learned in a secular university to be bold in their faith. Partner with people from whom you can learn and who will spur you on. But in so doing, and this is the point, we may find adversaries even here. It's shocking but true. And over the years, I have found that some people whom I trusted the most have hurt me the most. And so what should I do? Well, I should learn from that experience, but still, I should seek out worthy ministry partners. Now, almost all that we have read at this point has been about Jesus' instruction to the Twelve regarding a ministry that occurs sometime during his second year of ministry. But it is at this moment when when speaking about the potential of staying in a house that turns against you that Jesus begins to move his disciples from the immediate concern of their short-term missions assignment 
to what will eventually be their long-term missions assignment. He tells them he's sending them out as sheep in the midst of wolves. He's, He's telling them that there are men and women out there who are looking to tear them apart. And then he goes on to say that it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for those people who reject them. The Jewish home that rejects the disciples will be more harshly judged on the final day than that wicked city of Sodom was. And why is that? Because it's one thing for pagans to act like pagans. It's quite another thing for an individual to have the truth and knowingly reject the Messiah and his ministers. Jesus is saying, among those who seem to be friends, you will find ravenous wolves of the worst variety imaginable. And in the future, Judas would betray Jesus. And Judas represents the kind of person whose punishment will be thousands of times worse than the mere pagan lost in sexual deviance and and in violence. But after that, among the remaining 11, only John would die of old age. The rest would all be martyred. Peter would be crucified, and James was murdered by Herod Agrippa and hardly saw the the beginnings of the Christian movement. Andrew may have been crucified in Achaia. Thomas was tortured cruelly and then burned to death. Matthew seems to have been killed by a halberd. It's a weapon resembling an axe and a pick, and that was done in Ethiopia, and so the accounts go. And Jesus is telling us that the harvest is plentiful, but the cost that is demanded is overwhelming. And that would be their first lesson in ministry, a ministry that would eventually reach the world. John, there are few things in this life we can be certain of. Some people say death and taxes. But if you're a follower of Jesus, should you be assured that you're going to suffer? Yeah, I know, because some people will say, and I've never suffered for being a follower of Jesus. So let me try to um, uh, put this in a way that we can all understand it. There are, of course, places in the world where it is illegal to share your faith, and doing so will put you in horrible jeopardy. We, we know of situations like that. Uh, in this country, it's not like that. Um, however, I'm going to say a couple of things. It's not just in evangelism, but you know, if you um, are living faithfully to Christ and you're in a business— where you're called upon to do something that's unethical or deny your faith in some fashion, and you don't do that, you will suffer for it. Uh, There are other places you might simply, in in your own family situation, be ostracized somewhere. And so there are numerous examples where faithfulness to Christ brings reprisals in the world in which we live. We need to expect this kind of treatment. Thanks, John. And join us again next week for more of Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. This month, request your free copy of the five-message series, Lessons for the Church, as our free Bible resource on CD. This is a special compilation of messages from Dr. Neufeld that speaks directly into the life of the church. From the birth of the church to Christ's return, God has created and chosen the church to be His means for communicating the gospel to the world. In these selected messages, Dr. Neufeld presents the church as it was designed and how it remains vital, relevant, and essential for our day. Please request your copy of Lessons for the Church today, and remember to pray and support your local church, the churches in your community, and in fact, around the world. 
Call for your copy of Lessons for the Church at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.